At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. Now, listen, 2021 is upon us. And who could have predicted the year we just had? What a chaotic mess it was <laughs> really just a disaster okay now the old, the best advice i can give to somebody and the only advice i will I, I will give at the moment is keep pushing forward don't look back don't dwell just keep moving forward now on this podcast guys we got joshua reese he's an industrial refrigeration mechanic he started out in hvac got his hands on some ammonia and never looked back we're going to talk about some differences between hvac and regular refrigeration as compared to his line of work like evaporators in his line of work with ammonia are set for zero superheat there's zero superheat in the suction line which is incredible not like what we're used to when we work in on ac and and some refrigeration like commercial refrigeration so we're going to talk about stuff like that josh wrote a really good article if you're into industrial refrigeration or learning about it he wrote an article on screw chillers and oil loss and put it on LinkedIn a bunch of years ago, but he allowed me to also post it on HVAC Know-It-All to get get some more um, people looking at it, some more eyeballs. And I got a, lo- a lot of good feedback when I posted it. There was a lot of people saying that the article was was well-written and there's some information in there that they learned from. So I'm gonna leave that, that article link for you guys to check out, okay? And Josh also mentioned in the beginning of the, the podcast that we're talking about a video I did on the refrigeration cycle now, I'm going to leave the link to that video in the podcast notes as well, so you guys can check that out. But anyway, guys, let's get to Josh. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast, and I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry, discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Okay, man, we are recording. What's up, Josh? What's up, man? How's it going, Gary? You and I have been talking back and forth for a couple of weeks, and I wanted to thank you for contributing an article to HVAC Know-It-All. And it's, it's an awesome article, and I actually received a lot of good feedback from that article. And I didn't realize how widespread industrial refrigeration was until people started to comment on it. And I was getting messages from people saying, Oh, that was a really cool article. I learned a lot. And, and people were offering one guy emailed me and he's like, he started going on this big spiel about oil loss and screw chillers. And I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know anything about the subject. Yeah. But e- email Josh because his email is linked to that article. And, and I'm sure he'll be able to, to chat with you because I I think he really enjoys chatting about this kind of stuff. So I don't know if he reached out to you or not. He did. I think uh, I think it was a guy that worked for Camco. Uh, I, if I'm there was a guy that did reach out and um, 
or, or he, I think he commented on the post and I, I actually, um, I, I, I wanted a little bit more information. So I asked a few more questions, um, about it, but he, he never posted back, but I don't know if that's the, the guy that you're talking about or not, but, um, there was someone that did reach out to me. Well, regardless, it still created some buzz and it still got people talking. And that is the whole point of this is to create conversation so people can discuss and people can learn from it. So like I said, thank you very much. It was a great article, even though there's some things in there I didn't really understand because I don't work on screw chillers <laughs> and I don't work with industrial refrigeration. But I think we're going to clear some of that up in this, this conversation with you. But before we get into to that, maybe just spend two, three minutes and tell us about yourself and how you got into this industry. Man, you know, I actually started um, in the HVAC industry. That was where um, I, I, I worked with a mechanical contractor in my hometown um, and I did it a couple of years and, and I really enjoyed it. And I had this opportunity to, I don't, I don't know if you, there's not Publix up in Canada, but down here, there's a, there's a large grocery uh, distribution uh, company or whatever, um, called Publix. And I started refrigeration there. So they wanted a guy that could work on HVAC. Um, and when they pulled me in, I, you know, I got exposed to ammonia. And as soon as I, you know, set eyes on it, I was, you know, I was in love. I want, this is all I ever wanted to do. So I dug into every single book that I could find and learned as much as I could. And, and, uh, you know, I've, I've spent the past 20 years doing it. So, it's, it's been awesome. I enjoy it. Yeah. And I, I think that even though HVAC industrial refrigeration, they're, they're kind of, they're the same trade, but they're two different trades kind of in, in, in a sense, because there is just the, the applications are so far away from each other. And, and I think this conversation might clear some of those up. And, and you, 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 you wrote down some points in an email that we can discuss. But I think that if we really touched on all these, we could be talking for like three or four hours. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, the first thing you said, I think is the most important um, char characteristics of an industrial refrigeration system. Like, what is it compared to a standard HVAC system? Like, how does it differ? There's not, you know, there, there really is. So as far as I actually, whenever you were just talking, it kind of put me on a different direction because that, you know, when it comes down to, to actually knowing, um, you know, the, the cycle of refrigeration, that video that you posted earlier is perfect. Um, and, and it applies, uh, you know, it applies to both, the, you know, the four major components to a refrigeration system. Uh, it, it's, it's in a, an air conditioner as well. Um, but, but there's, there's other um, equipment that's installed in line, you know, with, um, with ammonia refrigeration systems that, that aren't, that are major components of like a, a recirculated system or ones that have, that are, are flooded evaporators um, that are, you know, uh, bottom fed top suction um, evaporators. So they, those run um, with, with absolutely no superheat. You know, you don't want any superheat at the outlet of the evaporator, which is, which is a, a major difference between direct expansion evaporators, um, you know, from, from what you're used to working on and how you have a, a thermal expansion valve and, um, you know, that automatically adjusts to the load. We, we don't have that convenience yet in the industry. So um, that's, that's something that, uh, 
you know, we, we used hand expansion valves. And I know that we talked about um, some of the, the common misconceptions, um, you know, when we were discussing what we were going to talk about on the, um, the podcast. But that, that's, uh, you know, being able to set those hand expansions correctly is, is imperative um, for that system operation. Um, to where it's not that big of a deal when you're dealing with the, I mean, it is, but you, you have your, your load, it varies and you have a valve that, that varies with that. Mm -hmm. So direct expansion. So we're, we're basically taking a liquid and we're restricting it. And then it's, it's, it's expanding into the evaporator and it's lowering the pressure. And then that's where we start to absorb the heat. So how does that differ from a flooded evaporator? So what is a flooded evaporator? A flooded evaporator, like it, like I said, has no no superheat. All the all the um, you know the the heat absorbs into the. We have to have a specific level um, of liquid refrigerant, typically okay. around seventy five percent, versus where you you are around twenty five to thirty three percent of the coil being wet with liquid, to where we're you know anywhere from sixty to seventy five percent, depending on the coil manufacturer. Um, you know, and, and we don't, like I said, we have no, what the way we set these units is, is by superheat. So, or, or not, or, or lack of, so I, I go in and, and set it or, or close the valve off to where I'm starting to read superheat. Um, you know, and then once I get there, I, 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 and it's, it's small increments, um, you know, and, and once I get there, it actually, you know, we wait about 15 minutes and then, and then measure our suction line temperature. And we're, we, you, you want to get as, as close as possible to zero degrees. Okay. So that being said, the compressor that you're using, this is, this is ammonia we're talking about, right? When we're talking yep. about this flood. Okay. So the, the compressor is the compressor able to withstand any liquid in, in no. this case? So you've got you. I'm trying to think. So we you essentially have accumulators, um, which are, you know it's not. You don't have a condenser with with a high pressure liquid line coming straight out of the bottom of a condenser or going into a high pressure receiver um, and then going straight to a unit. We have staging vessels. Um, so you know we'll have a high pressure receiver that typically just on a on a on a simple refrigeration system. Um, you know, there, there'll be a high pressure receiver, which is typically what y'all are used to seeing at the, in the condenser or near the condenser. Um, and then it drains into, uh, either an accumulator or, or what we call a recirculator package, which has ammonia pumps on it. And that's how the majority of these systems are fed. Um, the evaporators are fed with ammonia pumps. Um, and, you know, and then the, the, the wet suction comes back to the recirculator compressors pull off the top of the recirculator, which is like, like an accumulator for, you know, in, in HVAC, um, you know, and then, and then the cycle just starts all over, but there's, there's storage vessels in, in, uh, you know, the compressor room or where the compressors are, you know, typically there's, you know, you have all your storage vessels and. Interesting. Compressors. So so, so you you set these up uh, by ha by hand, the metering device, right? Yep. Okay. So, is once you set it up, is that it, or is it set? Or are you going about? Are, are you like setting them up depending on what's happening with the system? Is this like a, a thing where you're constantly adjusting, or is it a one time thing? So it is. So I would assume, um, you know, it, it differs down in Florida, um, where I'm originally from. 
it, we didn't have to do that. There wasn't, we, once you set them for the most part, they were good. Once I moved up into the Northern region, like I live in Tennessee now, but I did live in Columbus, Ohio for a couple of years, which, you know, coming from Florida, my entire life, uh, you know, going up to Columbus, Ohio was a, was a drastic change for me. And I have, you know, running a refrigeration system in the winter time, it, it can be extremely difficult. Um, and I experienced a lot of issues, you know, as far as that goes, um, which I'm sure, you know, I don't, that's something you've probably dealt with your entire life. You know, I'm assuming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure, man. Like it, it's, is. I just find it, it's, it's crazy that for me, like, and we, we, we work on most of us that are probably listening to this are working with, uh, like a cap tube and electronic expansion valve. If you're working with like uh, VRV or, or VRFs or, or you're working with a, a TXV and, and once you set it up that that's, that's good and, and, it, and it's automatic and stuff. And it's crazy that to know that you got to go up with your hand and, and adjust this valve. So, so what is it? Is this a big valve with like a, almost like a, a turnstile gate valve type thing? Like, what does it look like and how do you adjust it? Yeah, it's a gate valve. So you, I mean, it's essentially, it's, it's got a needle on the bottom. So it's a, a needle and seat, just like a TXV, uh, and you don't, and so you do have to adjust them. Dur- I'm sorry, I probably got off uh, topic earlier. You do have to adjust them during the winter time. If you have, so I'm assuming from where you're from, they probably have a summer and a winter operation um, just for the fact that you have a, a massive load loss, um, you know, for a substantial part of the year um, to whereas where I'm from in Florida, we didn't have that. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, you, you shouldn't, you don't, ex- they're not, and I, you know, I, I would hope that one day somebody does come. The, the problem that we're going to run into is that you have, it's hard to measure zero degree superheat, right? Because once you hit enough liquid from there on out, it's zero degree superheat, no matter how far you open it up, uh-huh. you know, the, the expansion valve. So you're essentially, fl- you know, once you, whatever your suction pressure is, that's what, that's the, what the temperature of the ammonia is going to be. Um, so, you know, there, there's no, it would be nice to see some automatic operation. And I know that, I know that Dan Foss has some superheat controllers um, that, that they have all out there, but um, I, don't, I don't think that, or, or I'm sorry, I think that, you know, that's, that's probably some technology that we're still a, a ways away from seeing. Gotcha. So, I, I want to clear up something, and and I think that whoever's listening to this should probably go read your article, even though they may not fully grasp the the, the concept of industrial refrigeration. But I, I it's it's something to learn from. And and as I'm reading it, there was something that I couldn't grasp, and I want you to explain this to me. And okay. and the it was about it was about oil loss. Now, when I think of a, a refrigeration system. I think of it as sealed. I think of it as the oil leaves the compressor through the discharge line. It goes through the system and comes back through the suction line and it just keeps recirculating. And I'm like, so if the oil, if there's an oil loss, where is the oil going? Like where, where is it going? And why is it, why, why in in some cases were people having to refill the oil um, on a regular basis? Like I just wasn't understanding that. If you could explain, explain that, that would be great. So outside of lubrication for the bearings, oil is also used to cool. So it, they're just different machines. It's not, you don't have the oil loss that you're going to have in a Copeland or a Bitzer or something like that. Typically when you lose the oil, you just pump some, you know, hopefully you can get it out, but you just pump some oil back in it. With okay. these systems and these compressors, 
Um, they have hydraulic systems that run slide valves that load that, you know, it's, it's, it's um, precision uh, suction management. You know, we can, we, if we can set the, the slide valve or we can set a suction pressure on these machines and we can maintain it within a 10th of a degree or a 10th of a, a PSI. Um, so we, it's it, with these things sitting on top, you know, they sit on these massive, um, oil separators, which, you know, as the suction comes in, I don't know if you saw some of the pictures. Well, here, I'm going to pull up, uh, pull up that picture real quick, because that's a good, um, explanation of it. Is this of the, the Bitzer oil yeah. separator? Yeah, it really is. It's a good, um, so it's got, you know, as the, the compressor discharges into this oil separator and the bulk of the oil, you know, goes down uh, to the bottom of it to where it's recirculated back through the package through a pump. Um, and then, uh, you know, as you're compressing that, that gas, some of that oil is vaporized. And as it's vaporized, it goes through those coalescers. And when it, you know, when it collects on the coalescers, it just drains to the bottom and drains out. Well, it's got an oil return on the bottom of it that returns that oil back into the suction line, which goes back into the separator. Um, so you're, we have, um, you know, a little bit more on the oil side than, than what y'all do. And, there, and a lot of the compressors, um, whether it be a screw compressor or, or a reciprocating compressor, you know, a, a lot of them, once they start losing their the rings start going bad or something, they start passing oil. So we deal with oil loss a lot in, in the industrial refrigeration field. Okay. And, and that's the other thing you're talking about the coal, the coal, I, I, it's funny. It's, it's this word spelt so funny. Coalesce, coalescing filter. Am I saying that right? It's, it's coalescing filter. Coalescing, coalescing filter. So yeah. what exactly is, cause, and, and that's why I said people should go read the article. Cause you referenced the coalescing, uh, co why am I having such a hard time saying that? Cool. Coalescing filter. You reference that so many times through the, through the article, but what exactly is that? So a coalescing filter, it's just a, like a, a lower micron filter um, that it, it, it catches the, the fine particles of oil. And, you know, after, after a while, after it collects, it's just going to beat up and then it just rolls down to the side, but it's made to catch any oil, um that vaporizes and that's going out out of the discharge okay all right so and, and, and why why is it why is it catching the oil like what's the filter for like why do we need to catch that oil as it's vaporizing um, because the velocity of the vapor going through is so quick it would just push your, you know eventually you would start losing your oil and it would just push it out the out the discharge so we use that they use a coalescer to capture the oil um or the vaporized oil and, and then it just drains down and it's got a pipe back into the suction. Ah, okay. Now that makes, that makes a lot of sense for me. So the yeah. filter's there to catch the oil. It drains down the filter back into the suction, returning back to the compressor. So it's recycled. Yeah, yeah. Almost, uh, Copeland's got, well, Copeland doesn't use um, coalescing filters, but they do have an oil, oil return system. Have you ever seen those? Like um. The goes on it bolts right up to the, the sight glass on a on like a, a semi-hermetic copeland yeah are like are you talking about like an oil pump well it's not not or the oil pump but it's there it's a it's 
it's got like a float. I mean, I know I've seen them on Copeland compressors right where the sight glass goes. If you were to take those three bolts out off of a sight glass, this thing bolts up right to it. And it's an, and it's a, uh, it's an oil return. Okay. Is it, is it, would it be classified as, as an oil separator or is it something a little bit different? Um, you know what? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what it would be classified as. I just remember seeing them. They were like these blue, um floats that went right on the side of the compressor and whenever it opened up it would send you know all you know whenever the oil level would drop down it or i can't remember how that thing worked now it, it's it sounds exactly like an oil separator because as far as i know that's that's exactly how they work they're already filled with oil like when you install them you're supposed to fill them up um to the float with oil um, because if, if you wait, if, if you, if you leave it empty and then the system starts running, you could empty out too much of that oil into, into that oil separator before yeah. it starts feeding back. So you're supposed to fill it up a bit. And then what, and then when it, when it gets to that point where it's full, it's supposed to re start returning that oil. So it sounds exactly like the Aren't same those, thing. Are those off the discharge line? Don't they have a, they, it's almost like a, um, it, it looks like almost like an accumulator with the line coming off the bottom. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's the same thing. So essentially we do the exact same thing. We're trying, we're catching the oil out of the discharge um, and, and, and sending it back into the suction so it can go into the separator. Gotcha. Okay. So that, that clears that up for me because I was having a hard time. Like where, where's this oil going and how's it getting back? But that, that makes a lot of sense. And I Googled um, coalescing filter and, and what I, I saw like these like water type filters, but I, I guess they're totally different than that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, they use them in, in oil separation a lot. Like I've seen them on air compressors and um, that, oh, sorry, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking right. It was on air compressors, not water. It was air compressors that, that, that I seen them on. So are they similar looking to that as well? Yeah, it's almost the exact same. I mean, all, all I mean, all the, most of these compressors are just air, you know, I mean, it's essentially an air compressor. It's a gas compressor. Um, so, uh, you know, they're, it's, they're definitely similar. Cool. Okay. So we we've cleared that up. Um, and, and you wanted to talk sort of about the, the lack of technicians and in the industrial refrigeration trade is like, I, I know that across the board, we've been talking about like, we're, we're beating a dead horse with the skilled trades gap and all that. And, and, and not, I, I guess we had a, a bunch of people in coming into the trades at one point, 20 year gap went by not not enough were coming in and now we're getting another slew of of kids coming in I'm, I'm seeing the slew of kids coming in because i get a lot of messages from young kids asking for for help and then in the middle there's there's kind of nothing there like there's there's people like around your age and, and my age that that are in the trade but i don't see a lot of people around north america that are sort of between 35 and 45 they're either 50 plus or they're like 18 to 25 that that's mainly what i see and that's what what, what i think the, the gap is when we talk about the gap so where are you seeing the the, the drop off and people coming into industry it would i would say it's very similar because i was the youngest for a very very long time when i got into this industry all right guys Let's take a quick break. And I, I might get a little bit sappy here. I'm not going to cry because there's no crying in HVAC. Well, maybe, depending on what kind of job you're on, there might be a tear shed here, here, here or there. But for the most part, there's no crying in HVAC. Four and a half years ago, I started HVAC, you know what all. I didn't know how it would turn out. 
I didn't know what it would be, but I needed an outlet for myself. Something for me. The first hundred people that started out on that Facebook page, some of those people are still contributing now through through Instagram or Facebook or through 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 listening to the podcast. Some of those people are still there, which blows my mind. It really, really does. So right now I gotta say thank you to every comment, every like, every dislike. Even the negativity, because the negativity drives me to be better. Anybody that makes a negative comment and they think they're going to drag me down, you're doing the opposite. You are driving me to be better. You're just creating fuel for the fire. And I suggest you guys do the same thing with any negativity you come across. Make it fuel for your fire to be better. All right. I got to thank everybody that sent me captions, videos, images that I can share with other people. Because I don't get to see everything in, the, in this great trade. So these things that I'm sent and I share, everybody learns from. Keep doing it. Keep sending me this content. And I will keep sharing and linking it back to whatever you want me to link it back to. Okay, I'm not going to take credit for it. I'm just going to share it and make sure everybody knows it came from you. All right. Thank you to every podcast listener, every podcast guest. Thank you to my moderators in HVAC hub, the HVAC group that I've got, because that thing just keeps growing and growing. And without the moderators, I have zero help and I'd be lost. So thank you guys. Thank you to every, everybody that's contributed their time to write an article to HVACKNowItAll.com. Thank you to everybody that's read an article on HVACKNowItAll.com because listen, when somebody writes an article, they take the time to research and do that writing. When people actually read it, it means a lot to that person, to that author. And the feedback that, that's given also means a lot. Okay, because time is our most valuable asset. Somebody uses their most valuable asset to engage in what you're doing. That shows a lot. That's, that's very, I'm very respectful of that. So thank you guys so much for following along, for being part of this audience, being a member, being someone that engages and tries to contribute. I love all of it. I love all you guys. Thank you very much. Last but not least, I got to thank the current sponsors of HVAC Know It All. There's been some in the past as well, but I can't remember everybody. The current ones, I'm going to mention you guys right now because without you guys, the support that you give me, which is incredible, this this wouldn't be happening the way it is right now. It really, really wouldn't. So True Tech Tools, Testo, Yellow Jacket, Navac, Cool Air Products, Refrigeration Technologies, Dan Foss, Blue On, Supco, Interplay Learning, The Master Group, and Armstrong. You guys are incredible. Thank you for having my back. Because you have my back, I will always have your back. That's how I roll. You got my back, I got yours. All right, guys. So thank you very much. I don't want to be too sappy and continue on. I just wanted to take a quick break because 2020 is ending crazy year, chaotic year. And I wanted to take the time before we move on to this new year. And thank you guys so much for being part of HVAC Know It All. Love you guys. Um, so uh, I, I'm not really seeing a whole bunch of younger, well, I guess I am. I've, I've got a, a cousin that's been bothering me about it. So um, there, here's the thing. My industry is is hidden so there there or 
the ammonia industry is hitting. I don't want to say my industry, um, but it, it's there's not a lot of people. I I stumbled into it, you know. So there there isn't a lot of people that know it's out here. And and when you have the kind of um, background that you have to have in controls and, and stuff like that, when it when it comes to working in HVAC and refrigeration or even free on refrigeration, um, that translates well um, coming into industrial refrigeration. So, you know, that's, that, that's a a pool that I've always pulled from is, is the HVAC industry, just for the fact that, you you know, a lot of them already know that the refrigeration cycle, which is definitely important. um, And, and they, they know control, which is, which is a a big thing that lacks in, in this industry, I think. Yeah. Controls is a tough one. I, I, I went through, uh, learning controls to the point where I started to code stuff. Uh, oh, and I started, right. I, I started reading code and I started to code stuff, but I wasn't like, it's not like I could sit there and just start firing off code. I could write <laughs> if this, then that, <laughs> or if, if, if this um, is greater than 85, then, then start this or so. Those are the types of codes that, that I wrote and they're very, very simple. And I would only write code, um, if I was changing code that I seen somewhere that wasn't right, like the temperatures seemed wrong or whatever, I changed the temperatures or whatever. But I, I started to understand the language and then I got away from it because we didn't do enough of it where I work and I haven't really touched it in a long time. But that experience, kind of learning it and learning how to run network wire and how to shield properly and do all that kind of stuff, I, I, I think is, was sort of uh, an invaluable lesson through the years. And, and, and I'm glad that I got to, to do some of that. But I, there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about regarding ammonia, because we haven't talked really about ammonia on this podcast. Like we had one with, um, with Don uh, from, from Emerson not just a couple of weeks ago, Don Gillis. And we talked about CO2 as a, as an upcoming refrigerant yeah, and some, some of the concerns and, and safety and stuff like that and the application. So I would kind of like to touch on that with, with you as far as ammonia goes, like what are some of the applications? Like what are we doing with the ammonia? What are we cool? Is it ice rinks? Is it industrial refrigeration plants where we're keeping like I, I i drove by just just quickly i drove by and I, and I thought of you and in this podcast today i drove by a massive building on the side of the highway it's called it's called conestoga cold storage i've never been in there but the building is massive so i'm i'm gonna presume they do, they do industrial refrigeration in there and keep things cool for customers i don't know who their customers are but i i imagine it's industrial refrigeration happening in this place so that's what, you know, the, the, the inter- from an energy efficiency standpoint, ammonia equipments for, and this is actually coming off of um, Dan Foss's website, but they, their, their equipments, uh, ammonia equipments, 15 to 20% um, more efficient, you know, per ton. Um, then, so when you get into these much larger scale buildings, they're not, it, it's just not applicable to, to put, um, you know, free on refrigeration or what, you know, halocarbon refrigeration systems in there. Um, you know, they, they, these, these are large tonnage systems, you know, some of them can be thousands of tons um, with, and it's all piped in together, you know, it's their, massive compressors that are in the engine room and huge evaporators that are um, hanging in some of these rooms or in penthouses. Um, they, they, they do a ton. I mean, 
they do a ton of stuff all the way from there's chemical processes, um, you know, that, that use ammonia. We have, you know, blast freezers where they blast shrimp. And I mean, they're it, the, the applications are just, are just endless. I've worked on all different, you know, but it's, it's normally with the larger scale stuff, you know, you're not, you, you're not, once you, once you get into, you know, 20 or 30 or 50,000 square foot or, or start getting up into the 500 or a million square foot, you know, it, that, that, that cost to, to cool that building, you know, really gets up there. So I guess would, would ice rinks be a good candidate for ammonia refrigeration? Um, oh yeah, for sure. As a matter of fact, one of, um, there, there's one, Simcoe's a, a massive company up there. Um, and, and that I, from what I understand, that's where they got their start was, was in ice rinks and all, any ice rink that I've ever worked in was ammonia. Yeah. And it, this is going back like two or three years ago, maybe even, yeah, maybe even two years ago out in the, the West end of Canada, there was a couple of, and I'd, I'd have to go back and read the story to, to get, to get it correct. But there was a couple of people that died and I don't know if it was a combination of techs and maintenance people from the building from an ammonia leak at an ice rink. So how, like, how do we keep people safe when we're working on ammonia? Like, how do we, how do we prevent someone from passing away, just going to work and doing their job? Man, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, so just coming from a technician standpoint, um, it, you got to have a solid safety culture and you, you have to, you have to make these guys respect, you know, you really can't be afraid of ammonia, but you need to respect that kind of electricity. And, and realistically, it's the same thing with the refrigerants you're, you know, you guys deal with. Um, I, I don't know that how, how many deaths a year happens with, uh, you know, Freon, but I would assume that, you know, with ammonia, I can smell it, you know, I can get out of there before anything happens typically. Um, you know, but you know, I, I, that's, I've always been worried about being somewhere enclosed and being, you know, you really can't smell, you know, Freon. So that, that's always been a, a major worry of mine, but you know, it's, it's got to come down to culture and it's got to come down to personal, you know, per, your own personal responsibility with safety and you know what to do and what not to do. And, and, um, you know, the, these rules that we have, or, you know, we have to have gloves on when, whenever we're dealing, dealing with it, we have to have face shield and goggles and, and aprons, um, you know, so it, it's just one of them things that you, 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 it, it's on you, you know, and realistically everybody's safety is on them. You know, we, you can, you, you can try to train safety as much as you can, but um, you know, if there, if, if somebody doesn't have some personal responsibility with it, you know, that's, that's where, where the issue comes in. Yeah. I completely agree with you on that, it, that safety is on the individual. I mean, you can go to training courses and stuff, but you can, you can flat out pretend that you didn't hear it or you don't have to basically follow the steps or, or go through the motions that, that you were trained to do, you could just completely ignore them and you could get hurt. So safety is, is totally on the individual. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, 
I, I was going to ask you, like, so I've, I've been in chiller rooms where they have refrigeration um, alarms or refrigerant alarms set up and they're, they're actually outside the room too. So if, if there's a leak or whatever, the alarm goes off. So, you know, not to go in and there's like ventilation and stuff like that. So is there like in these machine rooms or mechanical rooms, whatever you guys call them in, in, in that industry, do you have constant ventilation and alarms that go off if there's a substantial leak or whatever, like, you know, oh, along yeah. those lines? I mean, a lot, I mean, it just depends on the building, but yeah, there, there's not there, there, we are. So the, I, I haven't kept up with it a lot lately. I know the IAR um, who sets these standards, they've, they've come out with some new books lately, book six or something like that. Um, but there, there ha- that, that, uh, that states that, um, you know, it, there has to be ventilation in these rooms. There has to be um, ammonia detectors um, in all of them. There, there, we have stacks with pressure reliefs on each one of the vessels. Those have ammonia detectors on them. We know as soon as it gets out of the system. You're going to know far before, you know, uh, bar a, a major disaster happening, which, you know, it would take something, somebody with a forklift hitting a vessel, um, you know, or somebody with a forklift hitting an evaporator or something like that. Most of these incidences happen from stuff like that. You know, it's, it, it isn't like the tank just ruptured or, or, you know, um, whatever it may be. So. Gotcha. Um, I have seen like, so the material, like we use a lot of stainless steel as a material in, in the piping and, and stuff like that. Right. Um, we are seeing that more. Yes. Okay. So, so something I've seen in recent months is um, from, and, and this started with uh, a tech that's an industrial refrigeration. He sent me like a, I think it was like a two, this was copper, but uh, somebody else sent me a stainless steel, a mold, it was like a plate or something. I can't exactly re- remember what it was, but this all started with like, a, I think it was like, it was large, it was a large copper pipe, but the inside of the, the fitting, it kind of blew, blew out because there was some trapped, um, some trapped, some trapped liquid. Yeah. Um, or trap condensation. And, and once, once the system started up, started up that trap, that trap liquid, it expanded because it got hot and it had no place to go. And it just, it just blew the copper kind of out. And then, and then once that got posted, all these other pictures, people keep kept sending them to me of, of, of this happening. And somebody sent me one within that, within that time frame, And it was, it was almost like a, a stainless steel plate, but it was ammonia because the tech was doing industrial refrigeration. He said it was ammonia and the plate almost looked like it had been bulged out. And he was saying he thought that's, that's what it was as well was trapped condensation that actually expanded when it got hot. Have you seen anything like that? Yeah. So is, so this guy that sit, is it, it, has it ruptured yet? Or he's got a picture of a line that has a bubble in it. It was, no, th- this plate wasn't ruptured. It just was bubbled out. Is that at his work? Yeah. Like that, that, that was, that was at a site. Yeah. Contact him and let him. So one of the big, one of the big things you can't do is, is trap liquid. Um, we're dealing with, with sub cooled liquid. So we, 
it's it's extremely cold. So if you were to valve off, I don't I don't have the numbers. I used to I, I used to be able to spit this stuff off the top of my head, but uh, essentially the the cold of the liquid, if you valve it off, it's it's a uh, you know it, it's a bomb. You know it's 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 going to blow up. So um, trapping liquid is a is a is one of the first things you you learn not to do whenever you get into industrial refrigeration. But yeah, I have seen that happen. I, there's, there's so many, I mean, I've had, I've been on a couple of bad, um, ammonia releases. One was somebody defrosted, uh, didn't, didn't pump out a coil, um, didn't pump. So we, we hot gas defrost them. So have you ever worked on anything with hot gas defrost? Yeah. Yeah. I just worked, I worked on like a mini fractional (laughs) horsepower thing with hot gas defrost that had a solenoid valve that was bypassing through causing, the um the temperature of the evaporator to be slightly higher so that that was my recent nothing nothing to do with what you you do because it was such a small unit but it was the same thing hot gas defrost and it was bypassing internally causing my evap temp to to be increased causing my box temp to be increased so oh yeah anyway anyway go on with what you were saying so it's i mean we essentially do the exact same thing we don't have a three-way valve or anything like that but we have a way to pull it off of the the compressor discharge um so oh man we'll have to edit this out i forgot where in the hot gas defrost um what were we talking about <laughs> we were talking about that plate bulging out and trap liquid oh yeah 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 i man this sucks so um anyways the we were a guy didn't pump out the evaporator um, which you don't want to ever hit, put hot gas on top of cold liquid, or you really don't want to put it on, on liquid at all. It, you know, it sends a hydraulic slug down the line, yep. uh, which is what happened. And it knocked, uh, it, whenever it hit a 90, it just went straight out instead of going through the 90. So, um, I I've been, I, I don't want to, I mean, I guess it would be un. I guess I would say unfortunate to um, be, be at a few issues like that. Um, so it's, it's always a possibility, um, you know, and I'm always aware of it. I'm always aware of my surroundings. Uh, you know, we, it, it, when you work in these rooms, you kind of get to where you know what they sound like. So whenever you can hear certain things happen in the system, I don't know if you have anything that you can, you know, correlate to that, but, but we, you know, we can, uh, for the most part, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very safe industry. We have so much, um, control to, to alarm us whenever something's going wrong. And, and, um, you know, some systems out there are advanced enough to, to shut off sections of the, of the system. Um, oh. so, you know, they, they, they put a lot of, they put a lot of thought into the safety when it comes to ammonia refrigeration. There's a lot of um, regulations out there that we have to follow. Um, and you want to make sure that you're following that, you know, to the T. So, uh, it, so it, it, that, that, that kind of leads to my next question is cause I don't, I don't know what, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin where ammonia pressures would run. Like, as far as high side, low side of the system, like what sort of pressures are we seeing inside an ammonia system? It's, it varies. It just, you know, uh, it just depends on what the temperature difference we're trying to achieve um, in the building or, or what evaporator temperature we're trying to achieve. Um, so, so what is the highest we'd see on like the high side of the system? Like, I mean, the I've highest seen pressure? Some, 
up around, you know, 50 or 60 pounds on the, I don't have a clipboard chart with, or, I mean, I do, hold on, I can, I can, uh, I, I don't know what that would be, here it is right here, actually, it's Bitzer's um, PT chart that I use. So if you were on, which ammonia refrigerant is a uh, 717. Yeah. Um, so it, at 58, let's see. I mean, I've seen them as high as, you know, anywhere from 60 to, or, or uh, 50 to 60 pounds. Um, at 50 pounds, you're looking at 33 degrees. So, you know, we, most of our evaporators are based off of a 10 degree TD. So if you you wanted a, uh, a 40 degree room, um, you know, you would, you're, you're looking at a, a 30 degree evaporator temperature. Um, so which, which is running up around there. Um, I've also seen it as low as 20 inches, which when you're getting to 20 inches, you're getting into, that's, uh, that's negative 63 degrees. So 20 inches of vacuum is negative 60. Is that what you just said? Yeah. Negative 63. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I've worked in some some minus fifty. I've ha had quite a few um, blast freezers between minus thirty and minus fifty. Those those suck to work in, man. I mean, I don't know what, what I don't know how cold it gets up there um, in Canada. I, I know y'all get a lot colder than we do down here, but does it get to those temperatures? Uh, so we about five years ago we hit a polar vortex and it was minus forty on the roof outside. Oh. Yeah, minus forty C, which is minus forty F at this like they both line up there. Yeah, and yeah. it that's how cold it was. And it, it was so cold that we had um chillers that had to run all year round for like server rooms just shut down. And they're like, hey, it was like the, their their um their microprocessor was like, Yep, it's too cold. We're shutting down. <laughs> so what we had to actually grab the sensor. Yeah, we this this was one of the worst days in, in the trade I ever had. We had to grab <laughs> the sensor. Um, warm it up uh so we had one of the apprentices he's standing there with the sensor in his hand warming it up so the thing would start running we ended up having to put a resistor in so to trick it to never have that happen again and we had ended up outfitting it with like um beefier receiver heaters even put uh heaters on the evaporator for for when we had like like really low load conditions or really low ambient conditions yeah. and and how we so the compressors would start and they go off on low pressure 30 seconds later because it was so cold they could not build enough pressure. The only way to solve the problem temporarily during that time was to overcharge the thing by like 30%, 40%. We just jammed, jammed the refrigerant in just to get the, the thing wow. running. Just to get it running. And once it, yeah. once it ran, I mean, because th these, these things had like... Um, they staged up, they staged up um, like three compressors on one circuit would stage up one at a time. And yeah. and when you got that second compressor running, then you were good. One, once you got them, once you got it running, you got some heat in there and you got it going, it was fine. But it, it was just to get that first compressor going and then wait that, that five minute delay for that second compressor. That's when we were having so much trouble. And then we had to go back in the, in the spring uh, as it was warming up and, and pull the gas back out. 
Wow. You know what? It amazes me. So I, I remember like how arrogant and, you know, whenever I was younger, it was, I mean, I just, I, I enjoyed this field. I, I dived in and got as much information as, you know, that I could possibly could get. Yeah. That one ended kind of weird, kind of abruptly. We didn't say our goodbyes or anything, but listen, Josh had to get up at 2 AM to go to work. So I just kind of said, Hey man, like it's getting late. And I know you got to get up, so let's just let's just cut it off. This is a good point. We don't have to spend ten minutes saying goodbye to each other. But anyway, guys, great conversation. I learned a lot. I'm hoping you guys learned from that as well. And it's crazy how we set these units up for zero degrees of superheat that Josh is working on. Coalescing filter. You guys learned what those are, what they do, and how they help return oil back in a system with a screw chiller, which is very, very cool as well. So if you guys are interested in this stuff, in that article that I'm posting at, at, at the bottom here of the, of the summary or the podcast notes, when you're reading through, there is a link to Josh's email. So if you're interested, you have any questions, reach out to Josh because he's a great guy and he just wants, he just wants some more education and better understanding of this stuff in his industry. And he's all geared towards that. So reach out to him. I'm sure he will be glad to help you guys out. Anyway, guys, happy new year, guys. 2021. It's coming up real quick. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.